The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's going on, guys? My Take Radio, episode 380, powered by Rageworks, broadcasting live Wednesday, November 30th, 2016. I'm your host, Rich, and our call in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call in number, 347-324-3541. If this is your first time tuning into My Take Radio, My Take Radio is a variety show covering mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. On Wednesday nights, we cover MMA and wrestling, and Thursdays, we switch gears, jump into some gaming, entertainment, sometimes a little tech as well. All shows are available on Rageworks in podcast format and live. You can watch, listen, and participate by heading to mtrlive.com. This broadcast is being simulcast in audio and video formats to a couple of places. On video, we got Twitch, Vaughn Live, Stream Up. Uh, Who else do we got? Daily Motion, it's it's always changing, but those are all restream, of course, and YouTube as well. On the audio side of things, we are simulcasting to Mixler, M-I-X-L-R. You can download the Mixler app for Android or iOS and listen to the show that way. And there is also an audio-only feed on mtrlive.com. Just a quick heads up for those of you that are watching the stream via Twitch and any of the other video services Unfortunately, we can't have all the chat rooms open at once. It's a it's very uh, resource consuming pain in the ass. So by all means, head over to mtrlive.com. You can participate in the chat there and be able to share your thoughts on the show and some of the stuff that we break down. All right. So a couple of things before we get into tonight's topics. As many of you know, uh, we had uh, we were off last week for the Thanksgiving holiday. Lots to discuss on that front probably during the gaming and entertainment edition tomorrow. Uh, As for MMA and wrestling, did watch some of UFC Fight Night 101, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. We are going to talk about Raw, SmackDown, 205 Live. I'm going to give some predictions for this Sunday's TLC, and of course, we will take your calls. Now, as many of you know, I posted on RageWorks.net the remaining episodes for mtr as well as the air dates just a reminder we're going to be doing shows through uh december 15th i believe let me make sure i have that 
that window open so that it's not uh where's my calendar yep so we're gonna go all the way through december 15th and those will be the final shows of 2016 the ones for december 14th and 15th now we're gonna do something a little different for those shows there will be uh, a bit of a structure but those are gonna be year-end we're gonna talk about some of the best of stuff some of the things we enjoyed some of the things we like and um obviously audience participation will be encouraged but all of our other shows will be on their regular schedule. Just MTR is going to wrap up a little early. And also, as many of you know, we are moving away from the live format. Uh, probably second week of January, we're probably going to do two live shows to start 2017 to remind everyone of that intent and then slowly start moving back into podcast format. Uh, for more information as to why that is, you can read the post on RageWorks.net. Uh, but the short version is it's just easier to manage all the other shows without the the rigors of trying to manage a live broadcast. This has its own set of challenges. And, um, you know, I figured we'll take a step back for a little bit. I'm sure we're going to be doing live episodes. I know that episode 400 is around the corner. We'll probably do a live special for that. And obviously, if we have any special guests, we will do something with those guests as well. But for the time being, we're probably just going to move into doing, um, you know, podcasts for now, of course, and things change. But right now I'm going to take a bit of a of a break from the live shows. All right. So with that said, make any, uh, you know, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out on social media and uh, make your way over to RageWorks.net. You can read the schedule for the month of December and also for January as we wind things down. All right, with that said, let's jump into this week's MMA. All right, so UFC Fight Night 101 happened over the break. Uh, definitely didn't get to check out the entire card. By the time I did tune in, I, get, I did get to see the main event with Derek Brunson, Robert Whitaker, um, two very, very solid prospects, uh, both solid middleweights. Brunson, I believe, was ranked eighth, and I think Robert Whitaker was ranked seventh. Uh, these are definitely two guys that are one or two wins away from a title opportunity, and they definitely made the most of it with Robert Whitaker securing the his victory via a beautiful head kick and punches in the first round. It was definitely a highlight reel finish. I went back and started watching some of the other card, uh, some of the rest of the card, but you know, there was so much running around for the holiday break um, that I just didn't get to enjoy the bulk of the card, you know, leaving in and out of the house, doing work around the home. And by the time I actually sat down, the middle, the middleweight fight was starting. And of course, the worst part was I set it to DVR and then it conflicted with some other shit that I was taping. Just huge pain in the ass. So we ended up going back and watching most of the other fights. But again, it, it just it just didn't keep my attention. Not that that's the, you know, I feel that that's kind of what's been going on with MMA in general. Unless it's some crazy big highlight reel fights. My Not that my attention and my interest is waning, but just the fact that it's become so much to manage it's it almost feels and I know some of you guys can attest to this like we're getting uh MMA cards, UFC cards in particular or to to be honest MMA in general, we feel like we're getting cards practically every week 
and sometimes stuff falls through the cracks. Like I forgot about UFC uh, fight night, you know, fight night 101 until somebody said to me, they were like, hey, you know, there's there a UFC card tonight. And I, I just felt I decided to check and I was like, oh, shit, there is one. So, you know, it's one of those things where we, you know, we're, we're going back and forth trying to keep up with all the stuff. And I think that's one of the reasons why, especially from a live perspective, it becomes homework. Like I've said, you know, got to watch all the fights, got to watch all the wrestling to be able to obviously talk about all of it on air. But I think that sometimes you you skip a couple of cards or you even forget they're going on, which is exactly what happened in my case. You know, we had, you know, just so much stuff, all, all the shopping and shit. But overall, I felt that Brunson and Whitaker's fight was tremendous. Like I said, these guys, either guy was on the cusp of a title opportunity. And with the highlight reel finish that we saw in this fight, um, I definitely feel that is the case. That's for sure. I was thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly impressed with that finish. Now, in terms of other MMA news for the week, I got a couple of different things I want to break down. Um, you know, we're going to talk about Conor McGregor and, um, you know, his, his, you know, them, the UFC stripping him of the featherweight title. I definitely want to get into that. Um, with regards to Fight Night 101, a couple of bonuses were handed out. $50,000. Robert Whitaker took one. Derek Brunson took one. Tyson Pedro took one. And Fight of the Night went to Whitaker and Brunson, which was well-deserved. Also, you know, some some sad news out of that card was Kyle Noak announcing his retirement. Uh, he was facing Amari Akhmedov, which was, um, it was, it was, you know, it's one of those situations where you see a guy who's been a veteran in the sport and you just see the sport just continue to evolve and not that he's not evolving with the sport, but just, you know, guys are coming in bigger, faster, stronger. And Kyle Noak, he ended up announcing his retirement via Twitter. Um, he had a 33 fight career in MMA. Uh, the guy was a veteran, been in the game for a long time, was an ultimate fighter coach. Uh, you know, definitely wish him the best of luck. He's definitely done a lot to, you know, get, get that, you know, the MMA scene in his country up and running and, you know, to read that he was retiring was, you know, it was unfortunate, but I respect the fact the guy's been in the game for a long time, 33 fights in his career. And, you know, he knew it was his time. And that's something I've talked about before where, you know, guys want to push other fighters out the door or want to, oh, this guy should retire. That guy should retire. I mean, sometimes you have to do it for a fighter's health and well-being, but, I'm noticing more and more fighters are, you know, just becoming more aware, more self-aware of their their state in the game and they're they're willing to step away. I mean, Uriah Faber's upcoming fight will be his last. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Uriah Faber. I think he's a, a tremendous athlete and he's also become an incredibly savvy businessman and entrepreneur. And all the ventures that he's created, the team that he has, he he has a, a solid career outside of mixed martial arts and um you know, he's one of those guys that he saw the writing on the wall and he opted to ride off into the sunset. There's there's been a lot of debating about Misha Tate's retirement and how she quit on the stool and that's why she retired, et cetera, et cetera. You know, one of the things that I've always said is that I am I'm an opinionated observer. You know, I'm a I'm a pundit. I'm you know not a journalist. I never I never make any claims to be that. But I also feel that. As someone who, you know, has been a martial artist but has never fought professionally, I think that there's a there's a fine line between you know, being being in the sport and being in 
the sport. And when I say that, I say, all right, in the sport is being a fan, uh, following the sport, going to events, meeting fighters. Um, maybe, maybe your practice, maybe you practice, maybe you're a weekend warrior. Maybe you take some Muay Thai or some BJJ, or maybe you take some MMA just for, you know, health reasons, whatever the case may be. But that's how you're in the sport. The guys that are, and I say in the sport are guys that are coaches, fighters, um, that are directly impacted by every aspect of the sport. And for those of us that are, you know, outsiders looking in to say, oh, this guy should retire and that guy should retire and this guy should hang it up. I mean, you know, it's easy to say because obviously we're sharing our opinions. But, you know, I've seen it more times than I care to admit people going on on fighter social media like, oh, you should retire. You know, that last fight was terrible. And I'm just like, you know, you, you haven't walked a mile in in these, you know, in these individual shoes to make to make your own assessment. It's just it's just unfair. In Misha Tate's case, looking at the video of that fight, I just feel that, you know, women's MMA and the skill sets that have involved that that ha- that are involved have evolved so much that some fighters, they just, you know, they, they, they were at the top of the game and they just they just aren't. It's just the evolution of the sport. It's no different than, you know, football players from the 60s and 70s versus football players now or basketball players from the 80s and 90s versus basketball players now, which when it comes to basketball, I feel that the that the newer generation of player is a lot softer than the 90s than the 90s basketball player. But that's my own my own assessment. But at the end of the day, what ends up happening is you look at the pioneers in the sport and you look at guys like Henzo Gracie, uh, BJ Penn, you know, Matt Hughes. You look at all these guys, their impact on the sport, and they were incredibly gifted, supremely athletic individuals that were, you know, masters in their class. And then guys come along like John Jones, who are just freak shows or, you know, guys like, um, you know, uh, Cain Velasquez is a great example. These guys are coming in bigger. They're coming in stronger, more well-rounded, more disciplined. So what ends up happening is that the guys like Tito Ortiz, whose bread and butter is wrestling, Sure, they may learn some striking. Sure, they may learn some, you know, some Brazilian jiu-jitsu. But their bread and butter is what they're always going to rely on. And even though they try to train everything else, they're not learning it at the same time. It almost becomes like adding additional things to your toolkit. In other words, let's, uh, you know, let's look at a guy like like Chael, like Chael Sonnen. Chael Sonnen is an incredible wrestler. It, the wrestling is the base. He expands on that base by taking maybe some boxing, maybe some Brazilian jiu-jitsu. But at the end of the day, those disciplines are go- are just going to be additional tools in the toolkit. They're not going to be disciplines that he's going to be taking for years and years and years versus guys that are coming into the sport now. It's like Monday, they're going to Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Tuesday, they're going to boxing. Wednesday, they're going to Muay Thai. Thursday, they're going to wrestling. Friday, they're doing conditioning. They're learning all these disciplines sometimes at the same time, so that skill level that they have is continuing to evolve. Then you have fighters that are just sponges that they end up picking up, you know, they end up picking up new disciplines and it just becomes an essential part of their moveset. Case in point, George St. Pierre. You look at George St. Pierre as a guy who is a well-rounded fighter who picked up wrestling along the way and, you know, he's he's considered one of the, you know, one of the better 
MMA wrestlers in the game. I'm not talking Greco-Roman. I'm not talking Olympic. I'm just talking about a guy who uses MMA, uh, who uses wrestling in MMA. GSP is on another level. And again, those are guys that they're they're unique individuals. I think that if GSP came back and fought now, he'd probably do well because he's such a freakish athlete and such a gifted martial artist. But I think as you get into the deep waters of that division, you know, the 170 pound division, the 185 division, you're going to see that there's so many dangerous, dangerous guys there that GS, it's not like before where GSP had maybe one or two or even three guys that were going to be a problem. Now you're running into half of the division is a problem. And that's, that's the whole thing. I mean, the 170 pound division in the UFC is a murderer's row of dangerous individuals. Not even counting guys like, you know, not even counting guys like Conor McGregor that may jump up to 170, but I'm talking about guys that are bona fide 170 pounders. Same thing at 185. Even though, you know, Michael Bisping became champion, that's a guy that he could fight Luke Rockhold again and and lose just as easily as he won. He could fight Yoel Romero and lose just as easily as he won. Yoel Romero can win the title and fight a guy like Jacare Souza and still lose just because that division is chock full of talent. And I think that when you look at that, you're seeing, um, you know, just an evolution of the game. Even when it comes to women's mixed martial arts, you know, Ronda Rousey was top of the food chain. You know, her, her judo was unmatched. Her submission game was unmatched. Then she ran into somebody who had a better striking game. Why? Because Ronda Rousey's base was judo. And even though she was learning, you know, stand up, her stand-up is not going to be as good as the person whose stand-up, is, whose stand-up is, you know, their bread and butter. In Holly Holmes' case, that's exactly what happened. Holly Holm was an incredible striker, used her striking in her movement, took the belt from Ronda. Then she ran into somebody like Misha Tate, who was an incredible wrestler. Same thing. Had no defense for that. And she lost. And, you know, when we go to Misha Tate and Amanda Nunes, you run into an individual who is a gifted striker and a gifted submission specialist, and before you know it, wow, there's actually a mosquito in here. Damn, it's pretty cold for a mosquito. <laughs> now I gotta, now I gotta watch it so I can kill it when we wrap up the show tonight. Anyway, you know, you look at you look at that, and I think that you know, for guys like Kyle Noak, Uriah Faber, you know, I respect it more that they see the writing on the wall and don't want to jeopardize their health uh, long term by continuing to fight. Anyway, you know, with with the UFC coming into New York there were a lot of rules and a lot of things that were going to ca- damn this mosquito's going to be a pain in the ass and I can't fucking kill it. It's driving me crazy. <laughs> anyway, so UFC 205 came into New York and there were a lot of things that pretty much were going to set the course for the New York state athletic commission and how they were going to handle mixed martial arts. Uh, Number one, obviously, were the ramifications of fighters not making weight. Number two were certain instances of, quote unquote, bad behavior that led to fines. Uh, Yor Romero is one that I believe he was going to get fined and a brief suspension by the New York State Athletic Commission. But the other thing was fighters that did not make weight also were being fined and suspended by the New York State Athletic Commission. Case in point, Tiago Alves has been suspended three months by the New York State Athletic Commission for missing weight at UFC 205. And, um, you know, that fight with Jim Miller was contested at a catch weight, but he was fined and suspended for three months. Um, in addition to that, Kelvin Gastelum, who was super overweight 
and didn't even step on the scale was also fined and suspended uh, by the New York State Athletic Commission. Now, the thing is, the New York State Athletic Commission is really going to be aggressive with this stuff because, you know, they want to show that they're going to be they're not going to pull any punches when it comes to MMA. Like Kelvin Gastelum ended up eating a six month suspension for his, you know, for his indiscretion. And I think that when you look at it, I think it's good that the commission is being so proactive. But I also feel that you may you may be overreaching. I mean, the guys didn't make weight. You want to find them. That makes sense. Finding Yo Romero for, you know, jumping on the top of the cage or out of the cage and celebrating when he won his fight against Weidman. Eh, it's a little it's a little much. That's all I'm saying in terms of them, them finding Alves and Gastelum and suspending them. I think it makes sense only because these guys, they just they didn't make weight. And that's one of the things that I've talked about in previous episodes that the whole weight cutting issue and these guys not making weight, they're not being you know, penalized as effectively or as, you know, as much as they should be. Sometimes there'll be, you know, the 20% fine, but a guy that misses weight on numerous occasions just should not no longer be allowed to fight in that division. I mean, the UFC is doing it on their part with Kelvin Gastelum that they said, you can't fight at that weight class anymore. You have to fight at the higher weight class because you can't make weight. And while I, I respect that the UFC is being proactive with it, I think that the commission should also be involved in that because, again, they can promise, 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 I'll make weight, I'll make weight, and then they come in five pounds heavy and it fucks up the card. Obviously, the the opponent doesn't care because he's getting an, getting an extra 20% out of it, but that extra five or 10 pounds of weight may lead to you losing you losing that fight because the guy has a little bit more pop in his punches or a little bit more weight on takedowns, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, New York State Athletic Commission not fucking around here in New York State. That's for sure. On the injury side of things, Daniel Cormier is out of his fight with Anthony Rumble Johnson at UFC 206. A lot of people were pissed off. Uh, DC now is out of the out of the title picture, I believe, until the spring. Uh, rumors are circulating that they still want to keep Anthony Johnson on the card. And, um, you know, it's it's crazy. The other fight that that suffered a loss was Rashad Evans fight with Tim Kennedy because the athletic commission did not want to license Rashad Evans to fight in Canada. This comes after the situation here in New York where they found uh, a medical issue that did not allow them to license Rashad Evans. So the UFC 206 card definitely taking its fair share of damage on the Bellator side of things. There's also um, some injuries there. Emmanuel Sanchez, who was supposed to be taking on AJ McKee, is out. Um, Ray Wood is going to be stepping in to replace him. Uh, in addition to that, Treston Thomason is now waiting for a new opponent. And that's actually happening um, on Spike TV. And the thing is that Bellator 167 also was supposed to have uh, Patricky Pitbull taking on Derek Campos. And, um, but that fight is off too. It's it's definitely a bad, bad month for both Bellator and for the UFC with injuries, that's for sure. But nonetheless, the cards will go on even though they have their fair share of injuries. Now, obviously the big news, Conor McGregor being stripped of the featherweight title. Um, they confirmed it at UFC Fight Night 100, and now Jose Aldo is recognized as the UFC featherweight champion. Uh, Conor McGregor 
will be relinquishing the featherweight title and the fight between Max Holloway and Anthony Pettis uh, will be recognized as the interim featherweight champion, which of course will lead to them fight either one of them fighting Jose Aldo and unifying the belts. Now, with all these issues going on, UFC 206 now is shaping up as follows. Max Holloway and Anthony Pettis will be your main event for the interim featherweight title. Matt Brown will still be facing Donald Cerrone on that card. Uh, Duhu Choi is going to be taking on Cub Swanson. Uh, Tim Kennedy uh, would be facing Kelvin Gastelum pending approval from the Ontario Athletic Commission. This stems from the suspension here in New York State for Gastelum, so we'll see what happens. Uh, Jordan Main is going to be taking on Emil Eek, uh, Emil Meek, excuse me. Um, Valerie Latourneau's on that card. John McDessie's on that card. Rustam Kabilov is also fighting on that card, as is Zach Makovsky. Again, the big news out of this entire card is the fact that Anthony Pettis, Max Holloway will be for the interim featherweight title with the winner of that fight facing the now newly crowned featherweight champion in Jose Aldo. Now, a lot of people were upset that they didn't allow McGregor the opportunity to defend the belt, but I feel that we've reached a point where the guy's champion in two divisions, his you know, his girlfriend is due to have a baby and he's going to be taking some time off to be a father and the featherweight title hasn't been defended in God knows how long. And that's a big fucking problem. And as much as people are annoyed and, oh, they should, you know, there's guys that have defend that have had titles and they haven't defended them for longer periods and they're allowed to keep their belts. I'm sorry to say, you know, I, I'm, I, I like Conor McGregor. I'm a fan of his, but get the fuck out of here. You've had the belt. You fought everybody else except fucking people in that division. And now you won the belt at 155 and and nothing was done with the belt at 145. Stop playing yourselves. It's just, you know, everybody's all pissing vinegar about it. And I said it when I read the story. I said to myself, there's no necessity for the, the featherweight division to be held hostage because Conor McGregor made history and now, you know, feels that he should just be allowed to hold the two titles. I, I can't, I can't as a fan co-sign to that because like I said, he beat Jose Aldo. He got the belt. Who has he defended it against? No one. Then Aldo and Frankie Edgar fight with the winner getting the interim title to fight McGregor. Oh no, I'm going to fight Eddie Alvarez instead. No, it's just, it just doesn't fly. And people are all bent out of shape. Oh, you know, you didn't let the guy fucking defend his title. Now Jose Aldo gets the belt and he didn't even fight for it. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Jose Aldo, yes, he lost the belt in 13 seconds. But Conor McGregor didn't, he had no desire to fight Jose Aldo again, clearly. He could have fought Jose Aldo instead of Eddie Alvarez at UFC 205. People would have been just as excited to see that fight. But the necessity to make history, to do something special, and for the UFC to swim in money obviously did not bode well for a guy like Jose Aldo. And guess what? At the end of the day, he still wins because he is now the featherweight champion. And he didn't even need to fight McGregor to, to run that back. That's the shit that kills me. And people are trying to make excuses. And look, listen, you won both belts. You made history. When are you going to defend them? Oh, I'm not going to defend, blah, blah, blah. My wife's having a kid or whatever. Okay, cool. How long are you going to be with your kid? I don't know, three months, six months, eight months. Okay, whatever. Three months. So what are we going to do? Sit here till the middle of 2017 with the featherweight title just hanging out? Just on your mantle? It's bullshit. 
And and like I said, people are coming out and, ah, you know, nobody's letting McGregor. The guy made history. That's it. Let's move on. The featherweight division has way too many talented guys to wait on McGregor and his personal situation to iron out to, to defend. It's bullshit. And on top of the fact, all this is doing is polarizing the other fighters in that division and making them pissed off at the organization. Jose Aldo was on the verge of walking away because he wanted a fight. He wanted a belt. Now he's got it. He's happy. Now he'll fight either Max Holloway or Anthony Pettis, and that's it. As for the lightweight title, if McGregor's going to stay fighting at 155, then, you know, you got to fight with Khabib. You got to fight Khabib next. You got to either fight him or, you know, Frankie Edgar at 55 if he decides to go up to 55. But still, this this shit can't continue. And I hate the fact that people are sitting there making these excuses like, oh, yeah, you know, McGregor. No, no. Slick, can you do me a favor? Can you punch up? Conor McGregor's fight with Jose Aldo. What date was that? I just want to know the date. And the reason I say this is because from that date, the featherweight title was not defended. We got two fights with Nate Diaz. We got the fight with Alvarez. No featherweights touch that belt. That's all I need to know. I need to know just the date so that I can fucking look at it and yell, do you fucking see? Anyway, the other thing I did want to talk about, and this was um, the big news story that came out this week. Uh, GSP, along with a couple of other fighters, including Cain Velasquez, TJ Dillashaw, Donald Cerrone, Tim Kennedy, and even bo- former Bellator president Bjorn Rebney, uh, released, a, you know, had a press conference today to announce the formation of a fighters union. Now, this, ladies and gentlemen, is huge for a lot of reasons. Uh, GSP, of course, being at the forefront, um, leading the charge with a bunch of other fighters to form the mixed martial arts athletes association. Um, you know, GSP issued a statement, which Ariel Helwani uh, put out there. He said, GSP said, and I quote, we're here to take a stand and fight for the fighters who are afraid to get fired, afraid to get left broken with no insurance or care. Um, it was, it was interesting to see so many active UFC competitors involved in this. Um, you know, a couple of guys were issued statements after it was announced that the union was going to be formed. Cain Velasquez was one of them who said that there are a disconnect has emerged because the money fighters, the money fighters make is often offset by the medical costs that follow. Uh, in addition to that, he said, my first fight in the UFC was in 2008. Since then I have had seven surgeries. Uh, Donald Cerrone expressed, you know, similar concerns during the conference call. And he said, um, you know, the thing about this, and I'm, and I'm going to really I'm going to really break this down. A lot of people don't understand the, the money that's involved when it comes to MMA. Yes, a guy walks out of there with a million dollars or five hundred thousand dollars. But first of all, that money gets taxed. Second of all, you got to which I've talked about before. You got to pay your corner men. You got to pay your dietitians. You got to pay your strength and conditioning coaches before it's all said and done. You walk away with whatever you walk away with. And then you hope to make money back through other ventures, whether it's through a school that you may have or other sponsorships that you may have, not even counting the Reebok money. At the end of the day, you know, the guys that are at the top of the food chain and the only guy, I hate to say it, that's at the top of the food chain right now is Conor McGregor. Everybody else is making money, but they're not making that same level of money. They're not. And there's a huge, 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 huge discrepancy 
in terms of pay scale amongst fighters. You guys have seen on previous episodes that I talk about the payouts for some of these guys. They're getting $10,000. They're getting $5,000. And that includes show money and no bonuses. You know, you got a guy that's going in there getting his head beat in for 15 minutes for $5,000. It's it's fucking insane. And now think about that. That $5,000 then gets taxed. And then out of that $5,000, you still got to pay your coaches, your cornermen. You know, you got to pay for your travel. You got to pay for your lodging. Yes, the UFC is going to pay for your medical care while you are a martial artist. Uh, you're, you're an athlete that's part of their organization. But what about everything else? What about bills that need to be paid? What about kids that got to be taken care of, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of people were saying that the the formation of the union is going to make uh, things interesting for the sport of mixed martial arts. And I ask you guys, especially those of you that are well-versed in the world of sports, you guys have seen unions, you know, across the board, whether it's the NFL players union, the baseball players union, do you guys feel that the unions for those organizations do more harm than good? Or are they a are they necessary to ensure that the athletes get fair and adequate treatment? I'm curious, you guys in the chat, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Slick told me that McGregor versus Aldo was UFC 194, December 12th, 2015. Listen to this carefully, guys. December 12th. 2015 since then we've had two nate diaz fights and one eddie alvarez fight Uh, outside of that no featherweights have touched the featherweight title how the fuck are you going to sit sit by and say that mcgregor holding onto the belt is good for the division no 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 jimbo slice says unions are both good and bad okay uh val says i think they work well considering look at what nfl players get paid even the lesser known guys okay so with that said you know being being democratic both you know there's good there's good points and bad points i think when it comes to the sport of mma there is a huge uh, you know there's obviously a huge spread of money and the guys that are at the top that move the needle get better compensation are more are better you know are taken care of infinitely better and there's more opportunities for them to make money now let me play let me paint a picture for you guys say the the fighters union becomes a thing and they start advocating for fighters and fighters start getting better pay which leads to obviously better care less injuries etc 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 i think that all the organizations benefit. I mean, I mean, that's how I see it. Slick adds, if a union properly fights for its members, it is good. How well an MMA union would represent the fighters would determine its usefulness. Unions would also have to fight those drug tests. See what I mean? It's, it's, it's interesting because it creates, you know, a lot of questions that I think organizations like the UFC do not want to deal with. And that's what I think. Seeing guys like Cain Velasquez step up, uh, you know, active, active mixed martial artists, Donald Cerrone and actively show their support for a fighters union is huge. I mean, I'm sure Dana White was fucking furious when a guy like Cain Velasquez goes and steps out in front and he says he's for a union or a guy like Cowboy Cerrone is for a union. Guess what? Because those guys, what are you going to do? You can't penalize them. 
you can't fire them because they're they're the they're the vital they're important gears in the UFC machine. I mean, Cain Velasquez is a top five heavyweight. Donald Cerrone is a top five lightweight or welterweight, depending on who you ask. There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of stuff there that is is you know it's worth it's worth the exploration, and I'm definitely interested in seeing how it pans out. David says it would be very difficult, which is why there's never been a boxing union. This is also true. I mean, um, Jimbo Slice adds, but it's still political bullshit. At the end of the day, the majorities of the fighters better learn to fight for their legal and health rights because they're the ones losing every time. That's that's Jimbo Slice makes a very valid point. And that's what that's the whole thing. When you look at medical care, post fight careers, a lot of these guys, yeah, they're well off. They're able to manage their money. But then there are guys that they got to work a full time job that they have to, you know, open up a school you know, do what they got to do to survive. And this is the whole point. Is a union the right thing for the sport or the wrong thing for the sport? It's too early to tell. But I will say this. I think that the fighters definitely require some sort of unified representation because there is a lot of phony, fucked up shit going on. And it's unfair to, you know, especially a lot of the guys that are coming in that are just getting their toes wet in in the mixed martial arts pool. You know, guys like Brock Lesnar, guys like Conor McGregor, guys like, you know, these guys are going to come in. They're going to make two, three, four, five million dollars because they get a cut of the pay-per-view. They're big draws and that's it. So for them, a fighter's union, it, it doesn't it doesn't make or break them. But, you know, guys like, um, you know, Anthony Pettis, Anthony Pettis's younger brother, uh, guys like Benson Henderson, you know, guys that are talented and that are assets to whatever organization they're in they have to look at their long-term futures and i think that that's where stuff like like a union may come in handy again that's not me putting myself in a place where i'm pro-union or against because even in my in my day-to-day job i don't have a union you know my company can turn around tomorrow and say hey you know we don't give a fuck about you you're out of here not that 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 can't happen in any other company but at least there's a benefit in in a sense for some people that have unions that fight for them in a lot of instances. I mean, my brother, he was, uh, he, you know, he's, uh, he's in a union and a situation went down with him and the union stepped up to bat and fought for him and did what they had to do. And, you know, they made sure that his situation was squared away. And I was like, wow, you know, that's, that's pretty fucking dope. But, um, uh, Jimbo slice adds boxing doesn't have a union because it's ran by silent partners who control Vegas and people's lives. <laughs> Uh, that's that's not wrong definitely not wrong uh david adds too many companies involved at least in the major sports it's one union versus one league see that's that's uh that's also something to look at and i'm and i'm glad david mentioned it you know we're looking at the formation of a union the bulk of the guys are ufc guys with gsp being involved i believe that the the hierarchy is broken down let me give you guys the list. It is the union is Donald Cerrone, Tim Kennedy, Kane Velasquez, and TJ Dillashaw, which will serve as a five-man board for the organization. Uh, Bellator, former Bellator MMA CEO Bjorn Rebney will fill in the role as advisor. But think about this. The guys that are part of this union are all active UFC competitors with the exclusion of GSP. Obviously, now what they're going to do is they're going to go to pitch the the union to other organizations and try and, um, you know, and try and get new members. Now, 
I want to share a couple of of pieces from the Sure Dog piece that was put out, and um, you know, it has some interesting lines from GSP and a couple of guys. GSP said, and I quote. Every time we go to fight, we're afraid. This is a different kind of fight. Even though I know a lot of fighters are afraid because of my situation, I'm in a much better place than I was a few years ago. I know fighters are afraid, but it's time to step up and do the right thing. It's like a fight in the octagon, but it's a fight against what is right and what is wrong. We should never be afraid to stand for what is right. Uh, Bjorn Rebney made it clear that the the union, it, you know, the... the uh, let me let me fucking give the name out because it's it's very lengthy. It is the Mixed Martial Arts Athletes Association. Even though on paper most of us are viewing it as a union, Bjorn Rebney said and I quote, "The MMAAA is an, an is an association, not a union, because the latter wouldn't hold up in court because the U against the UFC because of the fighter status as independent contractors. Beyond that, Bjorn Rebney played it close to the vest regarding a lot of the future plans. He said, there's no substantial benefit to the fighters sitting here with me or the hundreds of fighters in the UFC to lay out a strategy. We do have a well-developed plan to win. Now, again, the beauty of what was stated in that little line right there is the fact that they quote unquote, aren't being recognized as a union, even though they are going out there and, and, you know, advocating for fighter rights and fair pay, et cetera, et cetera. So, Think about that definition. You know, they're calling themselves an association versus a quote unquote union. And while, you know, a lot of a lot of people have said it's it is a union. They're just obviously playing, uh, you know, legal word games. It, I'm, I'm very, 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 very intrigued at this, because, like I said, there's so many guys involved that are just active UFC competitors. I'm curious to see how the organization responds. As for GSP, you know, GSP is in a very. He he uh, he genuinely is in a very unique position because he can continue to fight in the UFC, get his money, or he can leave the UFC and go to Bellator and put Bellator on the map if he if he performs at the level he did. So GSP is one of the only guys that genuinely has his foot on the gas and complete control of his destiny. He's one of the few guys. I mean, right now, you know, he's sitting at home. He's getting money from Under Armour. I believe he gets money from Affliction and a couple of other ventures. He's doing a couple of movies here and there. So he's he's making money. I mean, does he need to come back? As a fan, I'd love to see it, but it's not the end of the world if he doesn't. That's all I'm saying. All right. The other thing I did want to mention uh, before wrapping things up, uh, this week, it's interesting. I believe that we have a Bellator event Friday, which I'm going to try and check out. And then we got UFC 206 next week. And, um, you know, it's it's pretty much quiet throughout the month of December. There's a couple of cards that are noteworthy. So you're you're going to notice over the next couple of weeks, MMA is going to be, uh, you know, still a decent part of the show, but it's not going to be, you know, the driving force. It has been the last couple of months because things are winding down. I do definitely want to talk about, obviously, Ronda's fight when it goes down. We'll probably talk about that in the new year after the holidays. And, um, you know, we're going to talk about the Canada card when it goes down. But aside from that, it's pretty much business as usual, albeit a little quiet. But we're going to be watching this MM Triple A Association and see what they do over the coming weeks. As always, anything new that goes down, keep it locked to Rageworks or MTR for news. All right. That is going to wrap up this week's MMA segment. Let's switch gears and jump into some wrestling. 
right. So it was ve- it was a very odd week for wrestling, and I'll explain. You had Raw, which was just a regular edition of Raw, and then you had SmackDown, which was the go home show before this Sunday's TLC pay per view. Now, the thing that's been bugging me about Raw is that over the last couple of weeks, it has been it has had a lot of a lot of highs, but an infinitely larger number. <laughs> of lows well let me let me rephrase that's poor wording a substantial number of lows uh they were in north carolina this week flair country and you know main event charlotte sasha women's championship okay no problem so going through and i'm watching raw and a couple of things really bothered me braun Strowman and r-truth why i mean listen I've already said about Goldust essentially wearing blackface on Raw every week. And it was funny because a couple of people reached out and they were like, holy shit, he really is. But, um, you know, whatever. I just said it for the sake of shits and giggles, not for any sort of, you know, racial undertones. But nonetheless, I find it amusing every time he's out there. Uh, R-Truth essentially fodder for Braun Strowman. You know, crowd goes mild. I, You know, they wanted the hometown guy to go out there and wrestle. He did. He essentially got destroyed. Uh, it wasn't a good night for Cedric Alexander either, also from North Carolina, as he faced Tony Nice. Now, a lot of people were bummed about this because they were like, damn, you know, you bring Cedric up, you have him go out there, and he fucking is losing. Here's the thing. You're trying to build up the Cruiserweight division. You're trying to establish your heels and your faces. We already know that Cedric Alexander is a face. Crowd loves him. Amazing moveset. Tremendous athlete. Great. You know, WWE signed Tony Nese. They brought him in. He got his contract. You got to put him out there. You got to let him look good. And at the end of the day, the loss does not hurt Cedric Alexander because the division is still in its infancy. On the contrary, while it would have been nice for the hometown boy to get the victory, I did feel that that Tony Nese winning that match was good because it showed that Tony Nese is more than just tag team cruiserweight fodder or the guy that you bring in when you want to do you know, a cruiserweight scramble match. So for for me, I felt that Nice winning was perfectly acceptable and it doesn't really hurt Cedric Alexander's momentum. What will hurt Cedric Alexander down the road is if you don't start finding a direction for these guys. They started to kind of teasing something with him and Alicia Fox. I don't know where the fuck that's going, but, um, you know, they're trying, they're trying to start building characters for some of these guys, which, you know, it's not 100% necessary I mean, some guys are good without any sort of characters like Drew Gulak doesn't need a character. Um, you know, TJP, we know he kind of, you know, he's like the gamer, the geek, that kind of a dude, but doesn't really need it. It's just part of his persona as just a regular person. So to see it woven into his character, not terrible. But again, not the not the worst thing that happened. The women's title match and the way that it went down was weird for me. You know, you started it kind of in the middle of the show and then it fell apart. And then you said that you would conclude it at the end of the show with, uh, you know, no DQ, false count anywhere, blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, it was, uh, I don't know. It, it was odd. That That's all I'm saying. Enzo and Rusev and this whole big program with them is just completely fucking stupid. I, um, I understand that you want to keep Rusev out there and, Enzo is quote unquote funny, you know, but again, just senseless. You need, you have an entire tag team division that needs building and you have Enzo and Cass feuding with the one guy that can essentially be groomed to be, 
you know, a title contender in the matter of minutes. I'm serious. It just takes minutes to to take a guy like Rusev, flip that switch, turn him into a badass, and move him up to the upper card. I'm sorry. I mean, Rusev, I think he's at the point where, sure, you could keep him on the mid-card, and it's great, but, you know, Roman Reigns clearly is carrying the mid-card right now, so sure, Rusev could challenge again, but who wants to see that? Donut, zero, no one. So it is what it is. Rich Swan, a little... A little buildup before his title match at 205 Live took on Noam Dar. Uh, that's a guy that, you know, needs a little bit of help. I like Noam Dar. I think he's tremendous. He had an amazing showing at the Cruiserweight Classic. But here's the problem. These guys are performing in front of these big crowds. You're not doing anything. You're not doing anything with them to get the crowds invested in them. See, Rich Swan is unique. Besides, obviously, pawning all the stuff that he has or stealing stuff out of your car before his matches, he actually is, you know, he dances, he's funny, he, he has a good time, and, and people really enjoy seeing him out there. And that's what it is. Like, Rich Swan created his own, you know, he just carved out his own niche in the division without any help from creative. Meanwhile, a guy like Noam Dar, it's like, yeah, you know, you got this guy, uh, the Scottish wrestler, he comes in, super technical, he does random shit with his pinky and bites his hand and all kinds of shit. Why? Why does he do any of that? He, you know, no one knows. And that's what I mean. There's not, there's not a whole lot of backstory. The only guys that are, that have, you know, quote unquote crafted narratives are TJP, uh, the real Brian Kendrick, Cedric Alexander, uh, Lindsay Dorado. You know, those are guys that they're just, Hey, these guys, they're this, 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 and this. But guys like Noam Dar, it's like, yeah, he got a huge pop in Scotland where he's from. You know, the guy's fucking over. Then you bring him out here, you have him in a match with Swan, and people are probably looking at him, which I saw on Twitter. They're like, yo, who the fuck is this guy that Rich Swan is wrestling? Like, I've never seen this guy. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a problem. Because you're putting these guys on this big stage and you're letting them try to get this division over without any sort of, of real you know, of any narrative to get them out there. It's different with the guys from NXT because, again, they had NXT. So people watch NXT, they kind of know who they are, and then boom, they're on, they're on the main roster and everybody's happy. I just, don't, uh, I just don't understand why people, you know, they want, they want these guys over, but they're not going out there and doing the homework. Like I saw one guy, you know, he was like asking about Noam Dar and, you know, I messaged, the, you know, I, I sent them a tweet and I was like, listen, dude, YouTube is your fucking friend. Do you? I, I first question was, I'm like, yo, you got the network, right? And he was like, yeah, I got the network. I'm like, did you see the Cruiserweight Classic? He's like, oh, yeah, he was on the Cruiserweight Classic. I'm like, holy shit. The fact that a guy who has the network watched the Cruiserweight Classic and wasn't paying attention means that the guy was forgettable, which I disagree with. But that's how the shit goes. I, you know, I mean, Dar, Noam Dar is a is definitely a super talented wrestler. And I think with the right you know, with a little bit of polish, on, especially on Raw, you're going to get that guy over because he just has the look. That's for damn sure. Roman Reigns and Kevin Owens had themselves a nice, decent little scrap, um, you know, with the, the implication, of course, that if Roman pinned Kevin Owens, he would challenge for the WWE Universal Champion at Roadblock. This is the end or whatever stupid name they have for that pay-per-view. What a f I, I'm like, really? That's the name of the pay-per-view? It's like, it's like 18,000 things, like not just one word. No, we got to do, you know, roadblock. This is the end roadblock 
exit stage left. Like, who cares? Fuck, you got so many awesome WCW names. Like, you know, a couple of months, you know, a couple of weeks back, we were talking about Halloween Havoc when they did Raw on Monday. Like, why not use that name? What Bash at the Beach? So many dope names. You got all these other, you know, to you know, November to remember from ECW. Holy shit. You have so many great names and you come up with Roadblock. This is the end. I'm like, what is that? Fucking shit. Shit is what it is. Anyway, the New Day took on Gallows and Anderson, and we know that the New Day is going to hit the demolition uh, tag team title record. We know it's going to happen. So anybody that thought that Gallows and Anderson were going to win, no, 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 not today. And of course, Sasha Banks got the uh, got the uh, administered the ass whooping of a lifetime to Charlotte, uh, securing the Raw Women's title and a glowing endorsement from Ric Flair in Flair Country, which I think was a very cool moment. Uh, my, I have a couple of issues with that. I thought the match was tremendous, but now that it's over and done with, we need to move on to other challengers. Like, if you're going to start working this Bailey program, then let's get to it. Because don't get me wrong, Sasha and Charlotte's rivalry is one of those rivalries that we're going to see forever. We're going to see it play out in Raw, pay-per-views, WrestleManias. It's going to happen. But unfortunately, it's something that we don't need to def- we don't need that to define the entire division. So if you're going to pull the trigger on Bailey, let's get fucking cracking cuz again, Sasha and Charlotte, I don't mind watching them wrestle, but it's getting to the point where the the outcome can be seen a mile away. Val says Sasha Banks equals not allowed to win title on pay-per-view. <laughs> oh shit. Uh what the hell is uh Jimbo Slice sent me something, a communique. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, man. Jimbo Slice sent me a, a thing on Instagram. And it's, is it me or does young Chris Jericho look like Amy Schumer? <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> Fuck. Um, Slick, can you do me a favor? I am actually, you know what? I'm going to paste this link. Slick, can you take the link I'm sending you? and um <laughs> drop it in the chat room this is too good props to jimbo slice for sending me this wow holy cow wow slick this is incoming throw this in the chat room please holy crap anyway <laughs> fuck i felt that overall raw was actually a decent show this week um i am going to talk about mick foley's teeth falling out of his mouth cuz it was it was fucking hilarious He's like cutting this promo on Z- on Sami Zayn. And I'm like, what the hell fell out of Mick Foley's mouth? And I thought it was that he was chewing gum. And it's that his fucking teeth fell out. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I was watching that. And I'm like, uh, yeah, that's uh, not good. It was, um, you know, I laughed. I did laugh because why the fuck not? But um, I got to say this. What they're doing with Sami Zayn, I really hope that the payoff is that Sami Zayn goes to SmackDown. because. I'm sorry to say, Sami Zayn's doing jack shit on Raw. Uh, the other thing I did want to mention, the whole Cesaro and Sheamus thing in the bar was kind of cool. Let's see where they go with it. Number three, has anyone seen Neville? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? I don't know. You got a whole division of cruiserweights, and the one guy who should be in that division from day one is nowhere to be seen, 
And I haven't even heard of him being injured. So where the fuck is he, guys? How about it? Anyone? Neville? It's ridiculous. I think that Neville Neville got kidnapped by Rich Swan. I think he's being held up in the basement. <laughs> uh, Val says, who? <laughs> David says, nope, and I ain't mad about it. Fucking Hobbit. Wow, no love for Neville, David? Damn. Why? Neville is Neville is awesome, man. I think for the cruiserweight di- for the cruiserweight division alone, he would crush it. Why the why the why the Neville hate? I'm curious. Anyway, moving along. Let's jump into SmackDown, which had in th- in two hours of television a whopping three matches. You had Kalisto and Ziggler taking on Corbin and the Miz, whatever. Kane defeated Luke Harper for no other reason than to just torture me. I'm like, why is Kane on my TV? Why? And why did Luke Harper eat the pinfall? You know, where's that? This eats the pinfall. And um, Orton and, and Bray Wyatt go on to challenge for the tag team titles after defeating American Alpha in what was a pretty badass match, I have to say. Now, a couple of things. You bring up American Alpha. Everybody's excited. You bring them up to the main roster. What do you do with them? Nothing. Donut. Shit. I mean, don't get me wrong. I understand keeping the belts on Slater and, and Rhino, and that's kind of cool. But American Alpha, anyone? Why'd you bring them up? Doing jack shit with them. Zero. And, you know, the, the, the Wyatt Orton tag team, I'm, I'm, I wasn't really on board with, you know, Randy Orton joining the Wyatt family. But I don't know. It kind of works in a twisted sort of way. I'm curious to see what the long game is. I think them winning the titles is a no-brainer on Sunday, and we're going to get into my predictions for that in a moment. Um, but it's... Uh, <laughs> Val says they're waiting on the return of Kurt Angle. Dude, I would mark out. I would legitimately mark out if, you know, American Alpha goes on a losing streak, and they're like, you know, we need to go back to basics. We recruited a coach, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, let, let's bring him out, and Kurt Angle comes out. I'd lose my fucking mind. I'd lose my mind if he was there, you know, quote unquote, coach, coach angle, just coming out with American Alpha. And, you know, just these guys, American Alpha, it's the truth. They're real. They're damn real. Oh, man, I'd lose my shit because Kurt Angle is the man. And again, you bring Kurt Angle in, you help him get American Alpha over even a little bit more then maybe he turns on them or vice versa. And, you know, then we go from there. I think I, I'd love to fucking see it. I would legitimately mark out. Um, I got to say that that Becky Lynch, Alexa Bliss contract signing was completely terrible. Um, you know, Alexa Bliss is, is, is passable on the mic and Becky Lynch is passable on the mic. But letting two passable wrestlers try and, and carry a segment is fucking cringe worthy. Nothing good about it, folks. Nothing. Hate to say it, but nothing. All right. So let's go into 205 Live, which uh, I I had a big problem with 205 Live. And my problem was that you take these guys and you're putting them in this big arena where half the people don't even know who the fuck they are because they were taping it, I believe, before SmackDown. And or no, it was after SmackDown. So they gave it after SmackDown when the crowd is already exhausted. People don't know who half of these guys are. And um, yeah, nothing. So. You know, the matches themselves, we had the Bollywood boys taking on Tony Nese and Drew Gulak. Oh, look, a tag match. And um, the Bollywood boys won. I got no problem with it. You're trying to establish your faces and heels again. 
and you just sign these guys. I think they're incredibly talented. Uh, they have a great move set, a unique gimmick, and I see potential. I see potential in the Bollywood boys. I saw that they had potential during the Cruiserweight Classic, and I'm hoping that they're utilized effectively, not just in 205 Live, but even in the tag team division itself. I thought definitely that, you know, it was it was a good outing for those guys. And we got to see Jack Gallagher, who is fucking amazing. Uh, Gentleman Jack, I you know, I became a fan of his during the Cruiserweight Classic. I'm like, wow, this this English dude is no joke. He has the, the right amount of just wrestling acumen, and also, you know, just comedic chops to really get over. I think WWE has themselves a very, uh, you know, a, a dark horse for in terms of popularity. I think Gentleman Jack, if you watch his matches on the Cruiserweight Classic and look up some of his matches on YouTube, you'll see what I'm talking about. The guy, the guy's no joke. Uh, he had a really decent match against Arya Davari. Um, yes, he is related to Davari that used to be with Muhammad Hassan. They are brothers. Um, you know, I, I thought the match was was fantastic. I thought that Jack Gallagher uh, was a good way to showcase all his skills. And we got to keep an eye on this guy. This kid, this kid, you know, this this performer is going to definitely be a welcome addition, both to the Cruiserweight division and to the WWE. I'm telling you guys, don't sleep. This this guy has the tools. Um, we had our Cruiserweight title map and um, Brian Kendrick. I don't know why they were calling Rich Swan the outlandish Rick Swan, why? I don't know. Not necessary. Just fucking rich fucking Swan. Uh, so yeah, Rich Swan stole the belt. <laughs> and I kid, I kid. He didn't. He didn't really. He didn't really steal the belt. He did beat Brian Kendrick and is now your brand new cruiserweight champion. I thought it was a good way to get two hundred five live off the ground, uh, crowning a new cruiserweight champion. No harm in that. I'm sure that Kendrick and Swan will work a very good program going forward and you know we'll be able to showcase some of the other guys as well i think um i think it was a promising start i just felt that doing the show in the nx uh, i mean doing the show in the big arena instead of doing it like with the nxt crowd was was just it wasn't good man i mean you could just as easily tape at 205 live in the nxt arena and um you know you could go you could just say that it's live and put it on on the uh on the network Who's going to know? I mean, yeah, they, people might know because of spoiler reports and shit, but I just feel that putting these guys out there, the crowd is too big. Not everybody's really into the characters or into the performers yet. And I felt that a lot of what made the matches not look good was the fact that the crowd was so dead. And I was I was bummed out. I'm like, damn, you know, these guys are going out there. They're busting their ass and the crowd is fucking sitting on their hands. It was legitimately the crowd goes mild. I, I mean, you know, I joke about that with you guys all the time. But it genuinely was the crowd goes mild. And it's unfortunate because those guys busted their ass. It wasn't like they were phoning it in this week. That's for sure. So uh, interesting, interesting dialogue in the chat about Becky Lynch and her accent. Val says she sounds like McGregor without all the fuck to shite. <laughs> David has the Cruiserweight Classic didn't suffer from spoilers. You know what? I only read spoilers once because I couldn't watch it. But it's true, man. Every match was so top notch that it didn't even matter. And I felt that putting these guys in such a big, in so, you know, in such a, a big crowd really just showed that they haven't done enough to market them effectively, at least in big arenas. You know, the 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 crowd in the NXT arena was red hot from bell to bell. Plus, you have more control down there because you're able to have, you know, a more intimate audience. You give it a bit of an indie feel, which is what's important. 
because it, it it adds a little bit of of something unique to those performers. I mean, to the to the work that those that those performers are doing. But you know, this is what they're going to go with. We'll see if it's something that will continue or if they will. Um, you know, they they they'll listen to an episode, take my advice, and move it to the NXT arena. We shall see what happens. All right, so let's switch gears, jump into the news. That exactly. See, David. He uh, David said it's not big crowd casual fan wrestling. Exactly, it is not that. Definitely, you hit you hit it spot on, my friend. Definitely, it, I can agree with that a hundred percent. It you know the cruiserweights from the cruiserweight classic and even in two hundred five live to to David's point, it's it's not casual fan wrestling. It's hardcore. Uh, you know, guys that watch Lucha Underground, Ring of Honor, all the wrestling programming, know all the indie guys, go to all the indie shows. Those are the guys that really genuinely appreciate it. And again, the beauty of what makes NXT special is that you harness that small indie feeling and then you build up your performers and then you send them up to the big show. It's different with the Cruiserweights because you're putting them on the main stage already and you're kind of sink or swim, hope for the best, you know, instead of just giving them a smaller and more intimate platform and then allowing small showcase matches on raw and on 205 live. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, let's jump into the other news and give you guys some predictions. Uh, obviously Sunday we got TLC. I'm going to go through the matches, give you guys my thoughts. And of course I would gladly love to hear yours. SmackDown tag team championship match. Heath Slater, Rhino taking on Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton. I think that the Cinderella story of Beauty and the Man Beast is coming to an end, and Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton will walk out of TLC as your brand new SmackDown Tag Team Champions. As for Kalisto and Baron Corbin's tables, uh, tables match, chairs match, um, as much as I would like Kalisto to walk away the victor, I think they're going to add a little bit, they're going to start you know, strapping the rocket to Baron Corbin for the push, so I think that Kalisto will be catching a lot of chair shots courtesy of the Lone Wolf. The IC title will be up for grabs in a ladder match with The Miz and Dolph Ziggler. I think that this is going to be uh, you know, the dark horse of this pay-per-view. I think that these guys with the incredible chemistry and the great matches that they've had so far are going to put together another instant classic. And I also feel that Dolph Ziggler is probably going to walk out of there with the IC title in the ladder match which I wouldn't be shocked about, but I think that that match is going to to be the sleeper on this pay-per-view. Nikki Bella and Carmella are squaring off in a no-disqualification match. I think that this is for two reasons. Number one, because the added incentive of additional weapons being used in the ring will make this match stomachable. And number two, that fighting throughout the arena, you will allow them to hide how much of a piss poor wrestler Carmella truly is Uh, as for the match itself Nikki Bella is going over I think um, as much as Carmella they're trying to get her you know a little bit more established I think Nikki Bella is going over and that's going to be it Um, the women's match was made a tables match on Smackdown I think Becky Lynch is going to retain against Alexa Bliss and then we will move on to the next program Maybe Becky Lynch and Nikki Bella, perhaps. We'll see. As for the TLC match, AJ Styles, Dean Ambrose, I have a feeling that uh, Cecil Turtle, a.k.a. James Ellsworth, will get involved, possibly turn on Ambrose, and AJ Styles will win and retain in this match. 
Now, you know, I'm watching James Ellsworth and I'm watching JBL call him a slug, a skinny manatee, all these different things. And I'm laughing. I mean, I, like I said, I looked at him. And I'm like, wow, he looks like Cecil Turtle from the Bugs Bunny cartoons. But again, the Ellsworth experiment getting a little a little long in the tooth. So unless you have him turn on Dean or he causes he causes Dean to lose and Dean just whoops his ass. I just but then but then we get a Dean Ambrose, James Ellsworth program. Do we really need that? <laughs> Do we really need a feud between Ellsworth and, and, and Dean Ambrose? No. So in any case, though, I do see AJ Styles retaining in this match. I think that this is going to be another match that's going to be incredibly violent, but also going to be uh, you know, a spectacular match between two very, very good performers. AJ Styles brings the best out of anybody, and I think he's going to bring out something special for Dean Ambrose. That's for sure. All right, uh, David says Miz wins and these two go their separate ways for a while. Okay, Val, Ellsworth needs to go away forever. Slick responds, Ellsworth for champ. Uh, he also adds, Val also adds, Dean Ambrose needs to go back to the mid card. Wow. <laughs> Damn, no love. No love for Dean Ambrose. Shit. <laughs> Man, I, um, I don't know. I think TLC is going to be one of those pay-per-views that it's going to come and go. And no one's going to give a shit about it. I am, I'm only curious to see the latter match and the AJ Styles, Dean Ambrose, TLC match. Everything else you can watch on SmackDown every Tuesday. I hate to say it, but it's true. I will say this. Ring of Honor's final battle is this weekend, December 2nd, as a matter of fact. Well, not this weekend, Friday. Um, at the Hammerstein Ballroom in New York City. Please, 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 if you can check out Ring of Honor. Please check out Final Battle. Every year, these guys kill themselves, and the matches that are on deck are tremendous. Uh, Cole Cabana, Dalton Castle, Jushin Thunder Liger is taking on Silas Young. Cody Rhodes is going to be taking on Jay Lethal. The Cabinet is going to be taking on uh, Saban, Shelley, and Dijak. The Ring of Honor Six-Man Tag Team Championship Tournament Final will be Leo Rush, Jay White, and Kushida taking on TK Orion, uh, Vinny Marseglia, and Matt Tavin. Uh, definitely going to be ridiculous. Uh, tag team match, the Young Bucks will be taking on the Briscoes. Woo! That's going to be Fire City from bell to bell. Uh, the TV championship will be up for grabs. Marty Skrull will be taking on Will Ospreay. We'll be taking on Bobby Fish and Dragon Lee. And the championship title match, well, Ring of Honor championship match, Adam Cole taking on Kyle O'Reilly. Let me tell you guys, Adam Cole is the fucking truth for real. Kyle O'Reilly is a legit shooter, and that guy goes out there and busts his ass. Um, the championship match is going to be stellar. The entire card on paper is going to be stellar. Um, I was going to give predictions, but I haven't. I've, I haven't seen much with the TV with the TV championship feud, so I would be doing a disservice to those guys to give picks. But please. Check out Ring of Honor. Final Battle never, ever, ever fails to deliver. And this is definitely going to be one for the ages, folks. December 2nd, if you're in New York City and you want to try and get tickets, I'm afraid I got some bad news as the event is sold out. So unless you're scalping them or you're or you're doing some, some other you know nefarious things, you're not going to be able to get in there. But definitely iPay-Per-View, pay-per-view, and uh, whatever means you can, definitely check out. Ring of Honor's final battle. 
Uh, Mortis adds uh, Donovan Dijak did a KCXW show. He did a seminar. Good dude. Yeah, Donovan Dijak has stepped his has stepped his game up. I saw him, um, you know, when he was uh on the come up as part of uh, what's his name's faction. Uh fuck the dude with the book. I keep forgetting that guy's fucking name. Um, ah, oh, what is what the hell's that guy's name with the damn book that he hits people with the book? Shit, it's not uh, definitely a brain fart. <laughs> Sorry about that. In any case, um. Uh, Bucks and Briscoes, uh, David says, I never get tired of that matchup. Nope. Val says, Briscoes need to destroy the lame Bucks. House of Truth. Thank you, David. It's been a while. Um, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Truth Martini. Thank you. That's his name. Yes. That guy. The, the funny thing about Truth Martini is that he looks. There's a, there's a young lady I know. No joke. That looks like Truth Martini. And um, uh, my wife, I said to my wife, I'm like, yo, you know, such and such looks like Truth Martini. And she just laughs every time. The thing that gets me is that, you know, when Donovan Dijak was part of uh, House of Truth, I'm like, yo, this guy's fucking vanilla as fuck. And then I've, I've watched him over the last couple of weeks. and I was like, oh, shit, you know, this guy, this guy stepped it up. So uh, pretty cool to see that. Um, Val says Young Bucks equal worst tag team ever. Wow, dude. That would probably get you a fuckload of hate mail <laughs> on social media. Here's the thing about the Young Bucks. I always look at the Young Bucks as the trolls of professional wrestling. Um, you know, they, they go out there. They have a lot of fun. They shit on a lot of things. You know, like the indie Taker being one of their moves. You know, the, the 10,000 super kicks. I mean, you either love that shit or you hate it. Um <laughs> David adds, I can name 100 tag teams worse than the Bucks. <laughs> I I like the Young Bucks. I like them when they're when they're wrestling for New Japan. I'm I'm not a hundred. You know, I I'd rather. I don't feel that their Ring of Honor work. I think it's partially because of the guys they work with is as good as the stuff they do in New Japan. I think in New Japan they have so much different talent at their disposal that um you know you could do a lot with them. I mean, don't get me wrong. They work well with, you know, with some of the other teams. <laughs> there he is. The Book of Truth. Thank you, Slick. Um, you know, the, the the super kick party, it's, you know, you either love it or hate it. But I don't know, man. I think the Young Bucks, they're one of those tag teams that are a bit of a throwback to the Rockers. You know, they do a lot of crazy shit like that. But they are, they're, they're genuine trolls when they go out there and they have a good time and it gets the crowd involved and, you know, them being part of the Bullet Club has been pretty fucking cool. So I can't hate on them too much. But again, Ring of Honor, final battle, December 2nd. Get on it, folks. Now, if you were wondering why I didn't talk about Brock Lesnar entering the Royal Rumble alongside Goldberg is because I wanted to save it for now. Um, it's Brock Lesnar's involvement in the Rumble is interesting. Um, obviously, either him or Goldberg are winning unless... And this was something that uh, a buddy of mine was telling me, unless they eliminate each other and that leads to a match at WrestleMania and then we get that match and that's it. But who knows? It's just, um, you know, it, it's interesting that both guys are in the rumble because you automatically assume that they're both going to win. But I wouldn't be surprised if there's some sort of double elimination or they just start beating the piss out of each other and they, and they leave the match and then come back later on. Who knows? 
I would not be shocked in the least. Now, something interesting has been coming out that they're saying that AJ Styles may be facing The Undertaker at the Royal Rumble. Uh, the Wrestling Observer Newsletter reports that there's been interesting talk. There's been a couple of talks about that. Uh, the Rumble goes down January 29th at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, Texas. Um, here's where I stand with that. AJ Styles trying to get a, a passable match out of The Undertaker just sounds like a disaster waiting to happen. I understand that The Undertaker, quote unquote, wants to be back on TV, but really, we're going to put him out there with AJ Styles? Come on. You know, he's got to sell the fucking the big boot and go in old school. Eh, I just, I don't know, man. I don't know about that. Again, take that as a, with a grain of salt right now, but um, I don't know. Not, not 100% down with it. <laughs> Val says AJ Styles can carry anybody he can. But do we really want to see that? You know, <laughs> look, he's carrying chinless. <laughs> no love for James Ellsworth, but I'm serious. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I, you know, I don't have a problem with the undertaker. You know, he, he's fine in limited doses, but to put him in there with AJ Styles, what are, what are you going to do? I, I mean, is he going to win the belt? Think, let's think about this. Is the undertaker going to win the belt? No, <laughs> absolutely not. I hate to say it, but no. Stranger things have happened, but no, no. Like you do all this work with AJ Styles to what? To have him lose the belt to The Undertaker? Are you fucking crazy? Hell no. I'd rather AJ Styles have a match with Shawn Michaels. At least then I could be like, all right, that match is going to be pretty badass. But no, 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 no. Again, a rumor but one that we need to acknowledge. <laughs> oh my God. Slick says Shawn Michaels would snap in half. <laughs> but, but seriously, I, I could, I could deal with Shawn Michaels and AJ Styles. Cause that's a, that's a cool match. I mean, you know, fantasy warfare come to life. <laughs> I would, I could live with that. I could live with, with HBK and, um, you know, him and, uh, AJ Styles mixing it up. I, I, <laughs> I, I would think I would think it would be pretty badass. Anyway, again, let's let let's uh let's keep an eye on that rumor right now. Uh there's also another interesting rumor that Steve Carino will be finishing up his Ring of Honor commitments in January and will be heading to WWE to work in the performance center as a trainer. Uh the King of Old School, as many of you know, has been a staple in Ring of Honor TV in the color in the in the commentary booth. Um I like Steve Carino. He's a he's a maniac. I mean, watching him wrestle in the old days, it was it was insanity at its best. I mean, the program with him and uh, you know and and these guys with with what's his name, fucking uh, you know the the program that he's been working and the whole Mister Wrestling Three, it's it's all it's it's cool. But we'll see what happens. I mean, I like Steve Carino. I feel that he is a better asset to Ring of Honor versus bringing him to WWE. But you know. We'll see what happens. It, it should definitely be interesting. Um, Steve Carino, from what's been said, according to the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, is that he is under contract with Ring of Honor until December 31st, at which point uh, rumors are, like I said, that he is heading to WWE as a trainer. So, I, you know, WWE has, has done this before where wrestlers are working with the company part-time, they lose their jobs, and WWE gives them a full-time job, i.e. Matt Stryker. Well, we may be seeing that that situation repeat itself 
with Kenny Dykstra from the Spirit Squad. Uh, the pro wrestling sheet reported that Kenny Dykstra was fired from his job from missing too many days of work to work with the WWE. He was the director of a nonprofit charity and he was fired for missing an excessive amount of days. He was for, he, you know, according to, to the piece, they under, he understood why he was being let go. As many of you know, Kenny Dykstra has been making appearances on WWE TV with Mikey from the spirit squad. And um, he said, you know, it's been said that him missing work to try and get another WWE contract was worth the risk. So I got to ask, do you think that Kenny Dykstra, not Mikey, not the spirit squad, just Kenny Dykstra, does he have a place in the current WWE landscape? Um, You know, to answer that, I'll say for me personally, I think that Kenny Dykstra is a is a solid athlete, a good mid card talent to have especially on SmackDown, which seems a little thin Um, in a tag team with Mikey, unless that fucking guy gets bigger pants. I don't want to see him on my TV, but I think Kenny Dykstra has, there's, there's, there's something there. There definitely is something that can be done with him. Maybe put him in NXT or, you know, maybe let him see if he could, he could hold his own in the cruiserweight division, but yeah, maybe, maybe there's something there. (laughs) Oh man. Val, looking like the guy at last call looking for action. Nah. (laughs) Wow. Cold-blooded, Val. (laughs) Cold-blooded. So in the latest latest bit of news regarding the uh, TNA legal battle, it looks like Anthem Media has finally wrapped up their agreement with Billy Corrigan, and uh, they settled Billy Corrigan's lawsuit against Impact Ventures. Um, Anthem Media acquired Corrigan's loan to Impact, and the lawsuit has been dismissed. So um looks like everything is settled and TNA is their legal troubles are behind them and Billy Corgan got paid and everyone is happy. What this means, who knows, but we the the TNA legal saga has come to an end for the time being. David adds if James Ellsworth has a contract anyone can have one. <laughs> oh man. Jeez. So a couple of weeks back, I was talking about the possibility of there being a, a women's tournament similar to what was done with the Cruiserweight Classic. Uh, PW Insider was actually reporting that the, the, the conversation is actually getting a bit more uh, aggressive with them looking to do something in early 2017. Obviously, the series would be taped at full sale. Uh, they've reached out to a number of different talents, uh, Heidi Lovelace, Kimberly, uh, Nixon Newell, uh, Cherry Crowley, a.k.a. Evie, Deona Perrazzo, Rachel Ellering. Um, as of right now, the plan is for the ones who are assigned to report to the Performance Center in 2017. And then, obviously, they would try and scoop up some other women for the tournament. I think that's a great idea. I would love to see a tournament, a women's tournament, the same way that the Cruiserweight Classic was done. I think this would be a great way to not only get new talent for NXT, but also get new talent for Raw and SmackDown's women's divisions. Uh, really excited. I think uh, I think it's going to be pretty badass. That's for sure. Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention before we wrap up, it looks like WWE will be discontinuing WWE superstars, and it's being said that 205 Live will be the replacement um, with the belief that the Cruiserweight show will add greater value to network subscriptions. Uh, WWE main event will remain and will be now be taped on Mondays before Raw instead of Tuesdays before smackdown so there you have it wwe superstars gone 
205 Live taking its place. And of course, WWE main event chugs along. All right. So that bit of wrestling news is going to wrap things up. A couple of things, just a quick reminder to make sure to check on RageWorks.net for our broadcast schedule for the month of December and the beginning of 2017. As I said at the top of the broadcast, we will be moving away from live shows later on in January. All right. So I've given you guys my take on MMA and wrestling. As always, I'd love to hear yours. Feel free to hit us up on social media if you're on Twitter at MyTakeRadio or at Rage underscore Works. You can also find RageWorks on Instagram, which is just RageWorks by itself. You can become a fan on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash official RageWorks. And of course, if you want to watch this episode and previous episodes, you can find them on RageWorks.net. Video will be on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash official RageWorks. And of course, audio can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Just punch in either My Take Radio or the RageWorks Network to get access to not only our show, but also some of the other shows that are part of the RageWorks Network, including the variant issue, Black is the New Black, the regular season sportscast, Call Me When It's Over. And um, of course, we're always looking for new shows and new talent. So by all means, if you're interested, want to work with us, whether writing for the site or even with a, a potential podcast idea, drop me a line, rich at rageworks.net or mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. All right, guys, join us later today, since it is now officially Thursday, for the gaming and entertainment edition of My Take Radio. I'm sure Slick will be joining me to break down the latest in gaming and entertainment. Uh, We're definitely going to talk about Black Friday, some of the new games that came out, and a bunch of other stuff as well. Thank you guys for joining me for this MMA and wrestling edition of MTR. I will catch you guys later. Peace. Ha <laughs>